1: By becoming a patron, to contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash Somewhere Skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show.
0: This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague.
1: Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Spread. Today on the show, we talk to former government employee and UFO investigator, Shane Heard. Shane has spent his career in the fields of civil engineering, geographic information systems, and information technologies. It was the Phoenix Lights incident in his hometown of Phoenix, Arizona, that sparked his interest in UFOs. Since that time, he studied the subject and ultimately joined MUFON as a field investigator. Today, we talk about some of the most compelling cases he's investigated, and then we dive deep into some of his fascinating articles he's written over at Rogue Planet. How was the late John McCain connected to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident? And why do a huge number of UFO reports involve witnesses claiming complete silence during a sighting? This, and so much more, right now. Shane, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited.
1: I am excited to finally get you on. It's taken long enough, my friend.
2: Well, fellow Planeteers, too.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yes. For those who don't know, Shane is one of our Rogue Planeteers over at RoguePlanet.tv. So check out all of his articles over there. We're going to be bringing some of them up tonight, so I'm excited to do that. Uh, They can get a little tease of what you've been up to over there. But uh, before we even get to that, Shane... I want to know, since this is going to be airing right at the end of December, what is your favorite UFO event or case or even story from this past 2018? Putting you on the spot here. Anything really yeah. stick out to you?
2: Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, a lot's happened, right? Um, <laughs> I, I'd have to say anything related to ATIP. Uh, that is fascinating to me right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we we had what it's been almost a year now since we learned from the New York Times from to the Stars Academy about the secret Pentagon UFO program. And I mean, a lot of us probably had some inclinations that something was going on behind the scenes. But the fact that the Pentagon was investigating this stuff. uh, That was news to me, man. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, for me, I I would even say this is one of the most significant events that have occurred in ufology in I don't know how long. I mean, when you think about it, for the better part of 50 years, whatever that is, from 1969 on, the United States government has denied until they're blue in the face that they had any interest whatsoever Uh, in ufos they weren't researching them they didn't care about them and anybody that did was uh, you know a lunatic i mean that's we all know that's the way it's been but i think one of the coolest things is and this is kind of selfish and I'll, i'll say we when i talk about ufology it really was a vindication of of the ufo community because all along we had been saying Oh, oh, yeah, the government, it is interested, and it is stunning them, but we had no proof. And then this came out, and it's like, hey, you know what? No, we're not stupid. We're not, you know, fanatics. We're not conspiracy theorists. What we are is right, mm-hmm. and, you know, you lied to us the whole time. So I think that is a bit of indication, and it felt good to hear it.
1: That is a really good point. I remember when this story first broke, uh, before I could even really get excited about it, I was going around telling everyone, I told you so, I told <laughs> you so. And now, I mean, we've got almost a year since the story broke, like I said earlier, and we're learning a lot about the program. I mean, we're learning that there was a sub-program called... Uh, Ah, what was it? OSAP, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this is like an offshoot with Bob Bigelow and Skinwalker Ranch. And this story just gets stranger and stranger, man. When we look at it, $22 million was allocated to this ATIP program Mm -hmm. to investigate UFOs. Now, you and I both know, and I'm sure most of the listeners know, that's not a lot of money when it comes to government funding, first of all. But now we're learning that a lot of that wasn't given to just search for UFOs or investigate UFO cases it was being given to a program to study this very secretive highly paranormal ranch in Utah so what do you make of the whole skinwalker ranch thing we have the, the documentary come out this past year by Jeremy Corbell and this place just seems to be a haven for weird stuff
2: yeah a- absolutely I, I i did read the 2005 book and i did see Jeremy's film and it It's fascinating and, you know, it's actually, you know, pretty scary (laughs) and it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, what it is. But the fact that, you know, this was a a scientific approach, uh, you know, scientists studied this. And, you know, as we we begin to learn, uh, the government was, in fact, involved. And, you know, this was taken quite seriously and some very, very strange stuff uh, it has been studied and at least verified that it occurs. I, you know, I, I'm sure they still don't know exactly what it is, but um, yeah, definitely weird stuff. And to, and to that connection between, you know, uh, a tip, ASAP, B A A S bass from mm-hmm. from Bigelow and NIDs and all. To see that all these things are fitting together, or you know, have some connections. I mean, I would never have even connected those dots, and to find out that they are is just—that's another fascinating study into a different, you know, the structure of ufology. I mean, you know, it's just—it's wild.
1: It is, and the fact that this sort of rogue entrepreneur billionaire is the one tapping into all these things—you really do have to wonder, like, what is his personal motivation, Bob Bigelow we're talking about, uh, behind all of this? What what is he what is he hoping to gain? Does he want that one answer to the UFO mystery? Or or what is it that is really driving this guy to get his fingers in all these paranormal pots, as it were? I, yeah. I really I really do wonder that.
2: Yeah, it's hard to figure, but you know what? I'm glad he did. You know, I'm yeah. glad he's he's involved. I, I mean, think about what what would you do or what would I do if we had a billion dollars to spend? Yeah. You know, we're going to we're going to spend it on ufology. Right. We're going to try and figure stuff out. And so to me, it's just really cool that somebody who has that kind of power and those resources are utilizing them to you know, study this topic and, you know, hopefully something's going to come from it that we'll all be able to benefit from.
1: Right, that we'll all be able to benefit from. That's a really good way of looking at it. When when a lot of people ask me, like, what do you want out of ufology? What do you want? Do you want to give, you know, do you want the public to know the truth about everything? And yeah, of course, my short answer is yes, I want the public to know the truth. But at the end of the day, Shane, I think this is a deeply personal Journey for all of us, and at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I want those answers for myself yeah <laughs> it's a very selfish oh. field as well,
2: yeah, but you ways. know I mean that's natural right we We all do want to do want to know the the answer to this mystery, but yeah i'm kind of I'm in that place too, where that's the destination, which it would be really great to get there. But I don't want to overlook the journey. I enjoy the journey to get there. And I realize maybe in my lifetime we're not going to get to the destination. We won't know that answer. But So if I just focused on that, I would probably get discouraged, you know. Mm But I'm focusing on the journey, and I I find it completely fascinating—the people and the information, and all that goes with it—is just—it's just just a trip, and you know, I just love it.
1: I couldn't, (laughs) from one weirdo to another. Yeah, I I I I couldn't agree more. (laughs) It really is about the journey. I want to know how that journey sort of began for you. How did you first get interested in UFOs? What made you eventually become a UFO investigator?
2: I look back and I ask myself that question because, you know, I had a background that was, you know, quite religious and and this whole concept, you know, wasn't really looked at favorably. Let's say mm-hmm. I'm now no longer involved in that and not related to the ufology, but as a result of that, you know, I have been able to per- pursue this more deeply. But I was eight years old when we landed on the moon, and so like every other kid in America. I wanted to be an astronaut and, you know, just interested in all things space. And I'm a total space geek. Uh, But along with that is, you know, interest in sci-fi and, of course, UFOs. But I didn't really pursue it, you know, as a child and then young adult. And then I got caught up in life, you know, got married and had a kid and tried to, you know, earn a living and just really didn't focus on that until something happened. And I can say I've never seen a UFO I've never had a paranormal experience at all. I'm doing this just out of intellectual curiosity. But in 1997, I was a resident, still am, of Phoenix, Arizona. And when that Phoenix Lights incident happened, I mean, I know where I was that night. Again, I didn't see anything, but uh, we were at some friend's house about 35 miles north of Phoenix. We were having dinner, and then we're going to look through the telescope at the Hellbop Comet. And so a lot of people were doing that that evening. So this is probably why there's so many people who made reports, but I was not one of them. But I was very captivated by the media coverage, you know, that night and for many months or years really after, there was just so much coverage of it. And I thought to myself, you know, there must be something to this. And so I started watching, you know, your typical UFO shows on cable, you know, UFO files and other things. And didn't really seriously pursue it, but it, it it had my attention. And then in 2010, um, I decided, well, I'm going to read a book. I just happened across the book um, the day after Roswell, uh, written by um, Corso and Burns. I read that thing, and you know, no offense to anyone, but at the time, I thought, you know, this is just not entirely credible to me. And I almost decided to bag the whole thing then. But I thought, well you know, you should read more than just one book to see. And then the next book I read was Linda Kane's book, UFOs, you know, pilots, generals, and public officials go on the record. And that one blew me away. I mean, it was written, you know, by a professional investigative journalist. And the cases she selected were, you know, excellent and lots of, uh, you know, case data. And I thought, okay, now this is some credible stuff. So I quickly learned the lesson that ufology kind of have wheat. And you have chaff, and you've got to have the ability to, you know, identify those. And then I followed those up. I had the good fortune of stumbling across Richard Dolan's two volumes of UFOs and a National Security State, I think is what they're called. And I thought those were fantastic because his style of writing, you know, as an ac- academic – you know, came across and he was profiling, I think mostly like blue book cases. And it was just kind of like case after case. And I, you know, these people were having these experiences and how could thousands of people, you know, have these experiences and there not be something to it. So at that point I was hooked. I was convinced that there is something to this. And so, you know, I consumed everything I could on UFOs, every book, documentary, whatever. And then I got to a point where I'm not saying I knew it all, but, you know, I felt like, well, you know, kind of have all this knowledge. What am I going to do with it? And I'm just the kind of person that, you know, I got to play. I got to engage. I got to, you know, I can't just sit there and watch. I've got to get my hands dirty. And so um, I look for an opportunity to kind of interject myself into ufology instead of just being a consumer. I wanted to, you know, participate and I looked around and since I had I've been a government employee for 20 years and been in the corporate sector before, and I knew I could thrive and function well in a, in a large organization. And of course, my attention had been drawn to move on, you know, an organized effort to, you know, accomplish something in ufology. So I joined and then for about three years, I was just a member. And then I decided, yeah, you know, I'd be interested in becoming an investigator And I'm about three years away from retirement at that time. And I thought, well, I'm going to wait till I retire. But I had attended a MUFON meeting and uh, Jim Mann had uh, talked to me and he he convinced me, go ahead and do it now. And, you know, we won't overload you because I was worried about, you know, family and work and all that. And I didn't want to get involved and not be able to, you know, do it justice. So. Uh, He said, we'll be easy on you, you know, the caseload and stuff. And so uh, he held true to his word. I'm managing it. I've done maybe 40, 45 cases. And, you know, it has been the best experience of my life. I mean, the people I've met, the the things that I have learned is just fantastic.
1: See, that's the thing. I I am not a member of MUFON, and I never really – I didn't realize how big – the caseload actually is for investigators. And what a lot of people don't realize is that you do volunteer for these things. It's not like investigators are getting paychecks like Mulder Mm -hmm. and Scully did, you know? I mean, (laughs) this is out of your own time, your own pocket Mm -hmm. most of the time, and a passion To help people who've had these experiences. So for you to say like 40, 45 cases or whatnot, that's astounding to me that that many cases are just in one area of the United States and that these things are happening in every state, every country, every continent, all over the world. So. I, I, I oh god that number just that amazes me.
2: Yeah, um, I think we have a, over a hundred thousand cases in the database. Wow! If you can imagine that, yeah.
1: And not enough investigators, I would assume.
2: <laughs> no, no, there's not. But um, you know, we do the best that we can, and you know, we we you know we do look into every report. Every report is investigated, and um, you know, there's even a time time frame. Of course, if there's special circumstances, you know, it it can go longer. But uh, the idea is to, you know, keep these things moving and, you know, really respond to people. Because if somebody has had an experience, you know, it's it's mostly a traumatic thing, at least a, you know, emotionally impacting thing. And you want to, you know, you want to address that for people. You want to help them. You know, you may not be able to identify what it was or what it was not. But uh, in the end, you know, you, they've got it off their chest. Somebody listened to them. They weren't being judgmental. And, you know, the, it makes them feel good that, hey, you know, I've my, my experience has gone into the historical record forever.
1: And it is. It's, it's a closure for a lot of people, too. I mean, yeah, I spent two years going around the country interviewing people about their experiences, everything from lights in the sky, which, which we should put – We should tell people, too. I mean, just seeing lights Mm -hmm. in the sky can be a very, very powerful thing for some people. You know, Mm -hmm. it might seem mundane, but for someone else, it might be paradigm shifting. And, you know, I I spoke to people up to claiming abduction experiences or close encounters. So a lot of the time, just telling it to someone can be enough for them. And if, if that's what we can do, then then, you know, besides finding an answer to it, then I think that's a good thing for sure as investigators. Um, Well, I have to ask you, among all of those investigations you've done, are there any cases you're willing to share with us or can share with us that really stood out to you?
2: There's a couple. Um, Let's just say I've done, say, 40-some cases. Out of those 40-some, I think four or five, about 10%, ended up being a true unknown Mm -hmm. and i guess you could say we would call that a genuine ufo i mean it's unknown i wasn't there i didn't see it so i can't say what it was no one can prove what it what they are yet right but um a true unknown and it's a pretty rigorous investigation and And I think the 10% shows you that that investigative process does eliminate a lot of misidentifications. I think out of all those cases, maybe I had one that was a hoax, and it wasn't like an outright hoax. It was more like they probably knew what it was and that it wasn't a UFO, but they wanted to make the report anyway, kind of a thing. But that's a very, very low percentage of the cases, most of them are misidentifications, but others are not. And so one, one of the ones that comes to my mind was kind of interesting. And again, these are all going to kind of sound bizarre. And I'm not just focusing on, you know, the ultimate outcome. But, you know, again, the process is pretty interesting. And you can just see kind of how weird it is. And it, it's a difficult thing to get your head around, but it can be done. So the first case um, comes to my mind is uh, uh, happening in Green Valley, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of outside of Tucson. And there was a couple who were driving home one evening. It was about eight in the evening. And they were going from Dairy Queen to their house. And uh, it's an area where there's some subdivisions, but they're adjacent to just open desert. And, you know, if you live here, or been here, you, you, you know, can kind of get your head around what that looks like. And so it's pitch black out in the desert. And so they were driving along a road that kind of like on the left side were, were subdivisions. On the right was this open desert. And they saw a light in the distance. And, um, you know, there's air traffic around there and stuff. So they kind of thought, oh, you know, it's probably an airplane, but it was bright enough that it caught their attention. And then it began to get closer and closer and closer to where they estimated maybe it was like five miles out and looking at it, it became clear that it was no airplane. And in fact, what it looked like to them was a vertical pencil, maybe a hundred feet tall. And the bottom portion of it was red top portion was like yellow they they said it kind of reminded them like a lightsaber you know it had this light emanating from it but it didn't cast you know light shadows and things like that and so they pulled the car over and were looking at it and then all of a sudden in the blink of an eye it jumped to about a mile away from them where they got a pretty good look at it and then in the next instance it jumped and it was right over their car and so they were looking through the windshield at this thing, and they could see, you know, the bottom portion, but it was so tall that, you know, out the windshield, the roof of the car blocked the view from, you know, from the rest of it. And it stayed there. They were just shocked, both of them, a husband and wife. And, you know, these are highly educated people, master's degrees. These, you know, seem to be very credible people. And they were just floored by it. And they just sat there stunned. And then the thing just blinked out. And so then they headed home and they talked about it. And, you know, they just couldn't, you know, come up with any explanation. They went through the whole airplane balloon. Was it a cell tower? Was it power lines? Was it blah, blah, blah? And, you know, in the investigative process, we kind of do the same thing. You find out, you know, I contacted the military bases nearby, the sheriff's department, you know, the local newspapers and, you know, you check for uh, reports either in MUFON or Fork or API and all these things and could find, you know, nothing. And so in the end, you know, I had to call it an unknown uh, because there just there was no conventional explanation that that would explain that. So I thought that was kind of a cool one. And then we had another one that was uh, a couple that hiked down in the Grand Canyon and, you know, for people that don't know, it's a pretty good hike down in there. Uh, and then, you know, it's like 10 or 12 miles or something, yeah, too. I've there's a there. ranch. Oh, you have? Yeah. I never have. See, so. Oh, it's um,
1: amazing. You got to yeah. get out
2: there, man. Yeah, I, I heard it's just beautiful. But um, down there, there's, you know, it's fairly remote. There's some cabins in a lodge, but, you know, no roads or anything, lights and all that. And it's fairly primitive. And they were, they were walking down a trail. And it was it was dark already, but you could see, you know, the canyon walls and then the sky above it and a little bit of moonlight and that kind of thing. And they saw a couple of lights that were dancing around up there, you know, clearly above the canyon wall. And they descended down to below the canyon wall and then they were zipping back and forth in the canyon. And this was probably, you know, a quarter mile away from them. And they were just fascinated by this thing and they were watching and watching. Eventually. They flew off back over the top of the canyon wall and and were gone. And so, you know, one of the things I checked was, you know, with the Rangers, hey, do you guys allow drones down there? And it's like, absolutely not. That's against the law. Um, Well, could there have been like a media company filming and have a license to do and stuff? And they said, no, no way. You know, um, clearly wasn't an airplane or helicopter. You would hear them and they certainly wouldn't be flying, you know, below the canyon walls. And uh and then of course, you know, I was thinking, you know, the only reasonable explanation would be a drone, but I could not find any evidence of that. Uh, you know, I have a hard time imagining, you know, a couple guys would backpack drones down in there 12 miles or whatever it is, and just fly them around in the dark. I mean, it's rough terrain, you could easily lose your drone. I mean, I just didn't see that as being being a possibility or a likely one. And so that ended up being an unknown. And, you know, who knows what it was? Yeah, Yeah.
1: see, I mean, that true unknown, if 99% of these things can be explained, it's that it's that true unknown, that 1% that keeps us going, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's fascinating.
1: Those sounded great, man. Um, Thank you for sharing those with us. I know a lot of MUFON cases are confidential, but um, no, I I really appreciate you bringing those forward. I I did want to sort of circle around to some really interesting articles that i also came across of yours over at rogue planet oh yeah yeah so um you recently started writing for rogue planet maybe what like a year ago or so
2: yeah or six months or so yeah okay cool fascinating yeah
1: yeah i was so excited when i first saw your first article pop up over there if anyone's interested just go to rogueplanet.tv uh we talk about all different weird stuff over there but we've got our our resident mufon field investigator right over there too so the first one that really caught my attention you know we had the recent passing uh unfortunately of senator john McCain and. A lot of people may not have known this, but he actually has a connection to a very well known UFO event, the Rendlesham Forest incident. Yes. And you, you did a good write up about this connection. So I'd love maybe if you could briefly run us through how the hell was Senator John yeah. McCain connected to a UFO event?
2: Yeah, I was fascinated by that too and uh obviously as a resident of Arizona I, I you know had a lot of occasion to to hear John McCain and and to see him and and you know he he was he's maybe I didn't always agree with his politics and stuff but you know he's he definitely is is a you know an interesting guy he he was you know very intelligent and he he basically I mean honestly he just loved a good fight mm-hmm. and um what happened in this case was Many people are familiar with the Rendlesham case, and in in that incident, um, two soldiers, um, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs, came in contact with a UAP, you know, an unidentified aerial phenomena, something that landed on the ground, and um, they were in very close proximity to it. Um, Without rehashing the whole case, you know, fast forward, uh, John um, developed some health issues, And, of course, as a former soldier, uh, you know, he would receive treatment through the VA. And uh, when he was having this health issue, uh, the VA doctors requested that he get his medical records. Well, when he went to do that, he was told you can't have them because they're classified. Mm. And it's like, what? Whose medical records are classified you know that was very weird and so he researched and found it was related to the fact that it he was part of that Rendlesham case and so he was desperate to get those records because his his health issue was life-threatening and the doctors needed his case history to find out what was going on and so um he kind of exhausted all of his resources and, you know, ability to to get the records and, you know, the military just wasn't going to budge. And so as a resident of Arizona at the time, he decided, well, I'm going to see what John McCain can do. Again, as I mentioned, John McCain, he's always up for a good fight, especially if, you know, there's an underdog or or he thinks, you know, there's some injustice being done. You know that's the kind of thing that he he just lived to tangle with. So especially he, as fact, a
1: former veteran, I would assume. Too. Yo, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, absolutely. So uh, he went to bat for John, and ultimately he was able to get those records released. Uh, John was able to provide those to his doctors. He received uh, that medical treatment, and of course he's you know with us today because of it. And really, uh, that's the connection of John McCain, not necessarily directly. Uh, a ufo issue for him he was helping a you know a fellow uh soldier and uh he uh, he was trying to right a wrong that he felt had been perpetrated against him and you know he threw his weight around and he got it done so when when john had died you know i was really kind of moved by that and i thought you know this is this is just something i gotta share with people because i'm i'm certain it's a side to him that no one knew about and so for people in ufology you know there's a connection even to john mccain
1: Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of the Rendlesham Forest incident and John Burroughs involvement, this is one of the first documented cases where veteran affairs admitted that someone's health issues were directly connected to a UFO event. That is a huge step for ufology, in my opinion.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and, and I think even in fact, with um project condine that the um ministry of defense had put together uh at, they buried in like the 600 pages was a, a matrix or a chart that showed the types of injuries that people sustain when exposed to certain types of uap mm. now that blew my mind you mean there is enough ac- encounters that they're aware of that affected you know, people in a medical way that they could create a matrix or a chart and associate, you know, injuries with a type of UFO. I mean, that's a mind blower. And, of course, that likely was speaking of John as part of those studies.
3: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns on your next order. Quince dot com slash style.
2: Statistics.
1: Well Shane, there's some really interesting articles i came across as well over at rogue planet from you one of them that really caught my attention too is something i came across a lot in my own ufo research and that's an article you titled why the silence during a ufo sighting so could you maybe run us through what prompted this article and just exactly what you came up with in terms of theories of why so many People report complete silence during a UFO sighting. I know I personally had this happen to me too during my event. So I'd love to hear what you got on this one.
2: Oh, th- that is very cool. I-, I I didn't know that you had experienced it yourself. Um, I did. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's amazing. And I, to me, um so the way this happened is, you know. In some of my investigations, other individuals had that experience as well. And it became part of my standard questions when interviewing uh, a reporting person. And, you know, I, ta- I asked them, you know, did you notice, you know, any unusual noises or odors? And, you know, kind of the other senses that you don't necessarily think of when you're you see a UFO, you're all focused on the visual stuff, right? right. But there's these peripheral things that, to me... That is a form of physical evidence. And so I was really fascinated by that. What is it that's happening? And it's happened, it happens frequently in these cases. And, you know, so, I, you know, I wanted to know is, is you know, how, how common is this? And is, is there uh, an explanation for it? And so, you know, I kind of just illustrated a few things in the article, like, you know, have you ever been walking through the woods? You know, most of us have at some point, you know, there's leaves rustling and there's crickets and birds and, you know, things going on all around you. And I don't know if you've had the experience where they just suddenly stop and go quiet. And, you know, it could be like, you know, maybe there's a predator out there and all the little critters know, ooh, you know, I better be quiet or I'm going to be somebody's lunch maybe that happens or or you know when it snows a real heavy snow and you're uh, out of doors, and it just has that dampening effect uh, on the environment so you know there are some very real properties of physics that explain how in some cases the noises stop okay however in with a ufo obviously the presence of that ufo is is a factor right and so you know, how could you explain this? Is this does let's say their propulsion system or something about them, do they create some kind of field that has an impact physically on them the environment? Maybe there's a bubble, you know, of plasma or something or you know, whatever around them that blocks out, you know, sound waves. Or, you know, is there something about their the the craft that maybe has a physical effect on us you know it it interrupts what our ears can do can can hear or maybe it's you know affecting the environment and sound waves can't travel through it or i don't know you know i don't know what the the reason is however to me it looks very much like physical evidence there it is making an impact on our environment that are subject to our rules of physics and and so to me that would be a very interesting Thing to study, to try and recreate. And, and it might help zero in on what kind of technology is being used by these crafts to produce that kind of an effect. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, you know, it's just one of the things I kind of fascinated about. So I decided I'll write an article, put it out there. And I got a lot of comments back. I mean, some really great theories that people put forth. And it's obvious Many people are aware of this and have given it some thought. So that was probably one of my most fun articles in terms of the response that I got back. 'Cause I'm
1: sure everyone has their own theories on it. For me personally, like I, I attributed it to my own, you know, fear and or adrenaline mm-hmm. or just, you know, when something so immediate happens and you feel like things go in slow motion, you know, that's sort yes. of thing. That's kind of what I attributed my senses failing me at the time to. Yeah. But when you look at these external Forces, You know, that maybe the craft itself or technology or occupants of said technology are involved with that. That's when it's really fascinating. So that's so cool that you got such a big reaction to that one, because I'd honestly never seen anyone else write about that there's been some books written on you know paranormal stuff on you know odors and you know sounds and this and that Mm -hmm. when it comes to ufos i'm gonna tell you man you're probably one of the pioneering people writing about that so
2: oh that's interesting yeah i don't know it just it really caught my attention so i i just had to had to say something about it
1: (laughs) awesome well i'm sure your research on that has only begun but yep There's another case that has been researched to hell and back, and that (laughs) is the Roswell UFO incident.
2: Yes. (laughs)
1: So we've got a reboot of the Roswell TV show coming back very soon. This case is known all over the world. It's a part, part of pop culture. And you recently had the opportunity to go to Roswell for the Roswell UFO Festival with uh, Jason McClellan, our mutual rogue planeteer. So how was that experience? I recently made a trip to Roswell for reasons that are still classified, but I'll get to that in (laughs) the very near future. But how was that experience? And I want to know what your personal stance on the Roswell case is. I'm putting you on the spot again, my friend.
2: Okay, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) enough um it was an absolute ball we had a great time you know i've attended several ufo conferences of course and they're you know they're fairly academic and you know and it's more about you know the information and all that stuff which is great love it not a criticism of it at all love it but i really never got involved in in really what i'd say is kind of the pop culture side uh, of ufology and and the fact is that that Roswell Festival is just flat fun. I mean people are dressed up there's booths everywhere there's bands and they're all dressed up like aliens and you know every every shop in that town I mean they shut down like eight square blocks of the of the downtown and every business had stuff in their windows and people coming in and out and you know they had food trucks and stages and just all of this stuff and it was so fun because everybody there was having fun about this topic and enjoying it. You know, it was something I'd never experienced and I just I got such a kick out of it. It was a total ball. Now as far as my view of, of the case, I mean, as you mentioned, it it's it's been talked about more than any other case probably. And I think my ideas changed as I became an investigator a little bit on it. But I will say this. Where there is smoke there is fire. Okay. And that's proven true in life and many areas of life. And even in my investigations with Mufon. I mean, there is something to that case. There's no doubt about it. Now, ultimately what it is, we, we may never know, or we may find, you know, a revelation, um, an admission or something on the part of the government, um, in the years to come that, you know, really reveals what, what happened. But, uh, you, you just can't have hundreds of people involved in something, you know, just making it all up. Now, you know, there's bits and pieces and, you know, how a story can change and all those things over time and from person to person. But to me, at its core, there had to be something quite extraordinary. And I will always think this, that there is no way that the military released a press release saying we caught a flying disc. By accident, that is not going to happen. So then they had to go backtrack and undo what they did. So you know why I don't know, but like I said, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. There's something to that case, and um, you know there's been some really good work, of course, Stan Friedman and Don Schmidt and Tom Carey and and um, others that you know have really dug into this thing, and there is a lot of detail. A lot of detail. You just have to look for it. So what you hear on TV and kind of just bandied about social media and things like that, it's just really the tip of of the iceberg. And there's a ton of facts and data behind that. So what it is, I don't know, but I think there is something to that case
1: amidst the the fun stuff at the festivals and even when you go to the the international ufo museum in roswell you know it's a little cheesy there's some yeah a lot of sci-fi pop culture sort of stuff around there but then you it's kitschy it It is it's kitschy and it's fun (laughs) and that is i i'm learning the more i get involved in the ufo field is to you have to have fun or you are going to be depressed as all hell with all yeah. this stuff but amidst all of that kitsch you look at some of these affidavits that they have at mm-hmm. the museum from people involved you know there was one i recently came across from one of the the like people that was on the The plane that went from Roswell to Wright-Patterson with the wreckage. And that was really one for me where I'm like, holy shit, man. Like, no matter what that wreckage was, what happened, the cover-up was so deep and so big that, like, whatever happened, it was clearly top, 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 top secret. Even if it was from here, it was... Something yeah. super top secret. Yeah. I, I still don't know where I lay on the whole thing, but something clearly important happened there, enough to silence hundreds of people, and that it remains a mystery up until today says a lot as well.
2: Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Well, here's another, you know, sort of pop culture esque thing that's going to be making its way to the mainstream very soon, and that is Project Blue Book now. I am looking right now at your image and you have a Heineck t-shirt, uh, shameless plug for the yep. uh, the Heineck t-shirt over at the Somewhere in the Sky store, if anyone's interested.
2: <laughs> um, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> oh, well,
1: thank you, man. It's a fun one for sure. But I did that because I I respect the work of J.L. and Heineck probably more than any UFO researcher out there, and uh, we're about to get it. Uh, a fresh take and look at him in the upcoming History Channel show, Project Blue Book. So, I want to know what do you think of this show? A lot, there's a lot of contention before this thing is even uh, being released to the public about how accurate it's gonna be. So, what right. do you think about a fictional version of act- actual events coming to the uh, the mainstream public here soon with Project Blue Book?
2: I actually had the privilege of attending a screening here in Phoenix of it um, uh, earlier this month. And they played basically the first episode, and they had uh, the producer there, and then they had a panel after a panel discussion on it. And I am very excited for it. I am stoked for it for, for several reasons. One is, you know what, it's UFO content. Yep anytime we can get any ufo content i'm there i mean i love it i appreciate it i want to see it hear it and the fact that they the history channel is investing in this tells you that there's an appetite for this out in the public and the more that good content comes out it, it helps spread the message it helps people become acquainted it it reduces that taboo of not being able to talk about it so from that perspective i think it's totally awesome the second thing is you know it's not a documentary you will be disappointed if that's what you're expecting it's not intended to be a documentary and it's not one what it is is a fictional drama and it's a fictional drama based on true events and we've seen other programs like that and they can be very entertaining and good and this is meant to be entertainment but it's entertainment on a subject that many people are interested in and so you know this is being produced by um Robert Zemeckis, yeah. he's the guy that did Back to the Future movies, and the the quality of this program is is second to none. I mean, the writing was terrific, the the production value, the the scenery. You know, it's 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 sort of a period piece because obviously this started in the '40s and went through the '80s. Basically, it's the life. Uh, of um jaylen hynick so um it's sort of a period piece and, and i mean it's visually stunning and it it almost has a feel and I, I don't want to make the comparison you know in content so much but it almost has an x-files feel to it because you know the premise is, is he, he's investigating these blue book cases and they go to these you know locations and meet these people and all these events go on and they they hit all the right notes on kind of the modern ufological lore and you know the government's involvement and all that and and the casting is is fantastic um one of the the main character i think his name's um aiden gillian he's from um Oh, what's that show? I've never watched, but uh, everyone Same likes here. Game of Game Thrones. Of Thrones yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they 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 really are investing a lot in this, and um, you know, I think they've done a terrific job with it. And you know, my DVR is already set. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Me too, my man. I did have the pleasure of seeing the first six episodes of the show. Oh, no way. I was granted awesome. the golden key for that s- for some reason. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I must,
2: am totally jealous.
1: <laughs> I must have an in somewhere over there at the History Channel. But um, <laughs> Yeah, that's I ha- neat. I have to agree with you, Shane. This thing is stupid. Stunning from everything from the costumes to the, mm-hmm. the the special effects to uh the acting to the writing. This is television at its finest. And I have no qualms with saying that at all. If you're going into this looking for a documentary, like you said, you're going to be very disappointed. This is a drama. It is a yep. drama. That's what I'm trying to tell people. A lot of people mm-hmm. are looking at it. They're seeing this image of J.L. Ellen Hynek looking at an alien in a tube and saying, that never happened with Hynek. I can't believe they're doing this. And yeah. all I have to say is just wait, wait and see. Because not everything is what it seems when it comes to this show. And Uh, that's the last excuse I'll give to it. I'll let the show stand on its own, speak for itself. But the week after this episode is airing, we're going to hear from the creator and the showrunner of Project Blue Book. So I'll let them tell the audience what to expect. But I'm, I'm oh, with how him, man cool. I, I think this is just going to do a great service to uh, J. Ellen Hynek, no matter if it is fictionalized or not. It's going to bring his life, his career and the work of Project Blue Book to the mainstream. So
2: absolutely. And that that's a win win for everybody.
1: Yep. I couldn't agree more. Well, sort of the last thing I want to touch on with you here, Shane is Disclosure, that big uh. word with a capital D. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: a lot of people think it's already happened. A lot of people think it's never going to happen. So I have to ask you, as a UFO investigator and having been involved with this topic for a while now, what do you make of the whole disclosure movement or what do you consider disclosure of the ufo phenomenon that's a very big question to ask you but but yeah yeah. what do you make of all that disclosure
2: yeah so that that is a great question and it is sort of a fundamental you know part of the lore of of ufology and and you know and rightly so people you know are interested i mean ultimately it's a question if you know does somebody know tell us so that we know too but It's a little bit tricky subject, but in my opinion, the reality of the UFO phenomena has already been disclosed. It has been disclosed a million times. I'm exaggerating, but many times throughout history. And and here's the thing, and this is, you know, I kind of go off on these tangents a little bit in, in my thinking, but what fascinates me is, okay, why is there such disagreement or confusion on what disclosure is in the first place. You know, I think, well, why can't anyone agree? And, you know, what's going on? Well, when you think about it, not everybody views a given line of evidence as proof. It's, so so let me just say, like, for example, there have been statements in government documents that do, in fact, talk about the reality of UFOs. And there has been in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. And and I'll say most recently with ATIP, I mean, to me, this it has been disclosed that there are objects in our sky that we cannot identify that display attributes that indicate they don't originate at the hands of human beings with our current technology. That's not even disputable anymore, I, I don't think to me that is disclosure now of who they are and what they want and all of that well we certainly don't know that now there could be people that do know that and they're they're keeping that to themselves okay but i don't i don't think you can dispute the fact that there's a reality to the existence of these things so and it's been you know Disclosed in documents over and over and over again and again like most most recently with with a you have the director of a semi-secret program to study these things and coming out saying yes we do it. it it's real we don't know what it is and they're producing evidence such as videos and testimony by radar operators and pilots and the, i mean what more do you want and so when i wrote that article that's kind of one of the things i approach is well what will people accept as formal disclosure is it the president of the united states has to call a a press conference and stand there and tell everybody like in independence day hey folks now we know we're not alone i mean for for many people it appears that is the only thing that they will accept as disclosure mm-hmm. okay but they're it's already happened in terms of that, the reality of that being confirmed. And this is another word that's being thrown is thrown around Is confirmation, um, you know, that the that these things are happening. So if you're if I think if we're if we're waiting, if you're a person who's waiting for the government to do it in that way, I think you will likely never see it. Yeah. Um, The only way that's going to the the way that it will likely happen, in my opinion, would be that they make themselves known in a public way. It's up to them to disclose their presence to us because our government is not going to do it. Their their fingers are too dirty. They have too much history. how, How do you explain that? Yeah. Oh, we've known about this for 70 years, but we kept the technology. To ourselves, or we've weaponized it, and we've denied, you know, use of technology that could have freed us from fossil fuels seventy years ago, and blah blah blah. But oh, forgive us, you know, never mind. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. So the, it'll probably be disclosed in a way that most people would accept by them, not us.
1: Exactly. I, I think that's a good way to look at it if there is some sort of non-human intelligence behind this controlled mechanism of the ufo phenomenon it's going to be on
2: their timetable
1: i i couldn't agree more with you on that it's never going to come from us unfortunately yeah Yeah.
2: and i think to myself why do we give the government that power over us why do we say the only way we're going to believe it is if they say it i mean it's i I make a kind of a smart comment in, in the article but that's like saying the only way that we're going to believe that the rooster's disappearance is if we, uh, you know, ask the fox. Yeah, um, you know, the fox has to tell us that that, that the rooster disappeared. I mean, it just, it's just—it's not the right place to go to ask. Ask that question and expect an honest answer. So
1: no, and the government is much dumber than people think. <laughs> In some oh, ways, yeah. I uh, no offense. I know you are you you were a former government employee. So, yeah. <laughs> and no offense to you, Shade. But oh, the no, fact no that, none you know, taken. You know, at the time of recording this, we're probably going to see another government shutdown. It's clear <laughs> that uh, the government is so compartmentalized that they probably wouldn't know what the UFO phenomenon was to begin with.
2: No, a- absolutely, and I, I, I even kind of use that logic in my own case. Working within any large organization doesn't even have to be government. You know, you don't know what the guy five cubicles over does exactly. every day necessarily, or, or you know, on another floor or in another building. I mean you know it's almost like a family that you you have a certain way of doing things and certain information well you don't hang your dirty laundry out for everyone to see you don't tell everybody all these things that could be embarrassing it's not that you're trying to be secretive or hide things it's just hey that that stuff's not anyone else's business you know and i think organizations are like that as well you know i'm not going to go out and advertise something that's really just our personal business and not that i'm hiding it so I think, you know, that happens in government and the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, good reasons and bad reasons. Sometimes it's, you know, silos because there's jealousy or, you know, or it's legitimate. This business process is completely different than this business process. There's no link between them. Why would I know about those things? I mean, like I said, once you, you know, you're involved on that level, you understand. Oh, it's very easy for some piece of information to just completely get buried or lost. Exactly. So I think that's what's happening.
1: Yep. Yep. Pretty sure that whoever was working next to Luis Elizondo wasn't like, Hey, what's going on with that Tic Tac thing over there?
2: You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Oh, boy. Well, I have to ask you as a as a field investigator who's looked into so many ufo cases at this point what advice would you give someone just coming into all this where should they turn to to look for credible information about ufos and how can they get involved with actual investigations
2: yeah that's that's a great question i i think you know i i was fortunate enough to you know hit hit the right note at the right time when I got into it with with MUFON. Um, In fact, I'm writing a book now that I hope to publish soon um, that is is about my experience, um, you know, like a beginner's guide to researching ufology, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, there is wheat and there is chaff. and, And there's also this whole political veil over all of it that that can kind of block you from, you know, determining what's really good information and bad information. So, you know, my recommendation certainly is, you know, read all that you can and get get a variety. And, you know, in your mind, you just need to be on guard knowing that, you know, some of this information is going to range from complete and utter nonsense all the way to, you know, maybe some very highly technical and complex information and everything in between. And you're going to have to kind of calibrate your BS meter, so to speak, and try and sort that out. But the good thing is about, you know, the UFO field is you know we police ourselves pretty well when it comes to the nonsense now I mean there's a ton of it out there, especially on social media and that kind of thing. But when you get down to some serious research, people do do their due diligence and you know i would I would avoid a lot of the you know sensationalistic stuff, you know some of the youtube stuff and not not that everything on YouTube is bad, but you know we know there are certain sites that, that, you know, promote this sensationalistic stuff. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's so unfortunate, but, mm. you know, there must be an appetite for it. So, but if you want to be a credible and serious researcher, you know, read credible and serious books by serious and credible people, same with uh, documentaries, and just be aware that there is an incentive out there for people to produce false in- information. And it's really to, you know, sell videos or clickbait and all those other things. So you just kinda gotta educate yourself in that way and be aware. But once you get to that point where you feel like you have a good handle on the knowledge through your personal research, make sure you hook up with other people. That that was probably the biggest thing that, you know, helped me grow quickly is, you know, I I I was able to connect with people like you and Jason and Maureen and, you know, Alejandro and then, you know, i you know i I came into contact with richard dolan and and you know Nick Pope and all these people who were one you know at one point they were just my heroes and people on t v the next thing I'm having dinner with them I mean I couldn't believe it, but this is this is when you insert yourself in a positive way, you engage with others um you know that's all we want you know like i said this ufology is about people really, and um you know when you engage like that this is really the quickest way to grow so that's what i recommend connect with people on facebook you know read some good books and and watch watch good documentaries and go to these ufo conferences and you know insert yourself and engage and play and you know you then you're gonna you're gonna grow and you're gonna thrive so and then uh, and uh, you know i'll put a plug in for MUFON. i know there's Plenty of criticism out there about MUFON, and some of it's legitimate and some of it's not. But I can say my experience in, you know, two and a half years of of being an investigator has been absolutely nothing but fantastic and positive. Get get great leadership and training and backup and support and great camaraderie uh, through it. And, you know, it's the best, best thing I ever did. And, you know, I highly recommend it.
1: That's awesome, man. It's so good and refreshing to to hear and see through the lens of such a optimistic and positive person when it comes to the UFO field. There's so much backbiting, you know, with any organization or field, as it were, yeah. um, and negativity, that to have someone like you out there pushing the positives and taking that personal journey and still being excited about it after all this time of... All of us never getting the answer we seek. It's so good to hear that. So, where can we find out more about what you're up to and what to expect about this upcoming book of yours? I'm really excited about that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, certainly you can catch me on Facebook, Shane Hurd, uh, and Twitter. Um, you can go to Rogue Planet uh, and uh, keep up with me there. And, you know, go to Mufon.com. And um, feel free to email me um, my email address, and I'm going to give that out to you as HerdRanch at AOL.com. I'll be happy to engage with you and share anything I can to help you in your own growth.
1: This has been a really fascinating conversation with you tonight, and it really – it was upbeat, and that's exactly what I needed heading into this (laughs) new year. So I have to thank you for doing that, and I have to thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies.
2: Uh, well, thanks so much for for inviting me. I really enjoyed it and yeah I just I would really like to encourage people if they're interested, you know, go at it in a positive way. There's a lot to be done out there and you will be welcomed.
1: That's it for this week's episode. Again, my thanks to Shane for joining us. Please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on the largest podcast platform, Apple Podcasts. You'll be helping the show gain visibility and new listeners. Please also subscribe to our growing YouTube channel for exclusive content. Just search for the Ryan Sprague channel. Project Blue Book premieres next week, so be sure to head on over to the official Somewhere in the Skies store. To get your Hynek merchandise, visit TeePublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. That's TeePublic.com. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. Thank you to our sponsor, HelloFresh. Thanks also to the E1 Podcast Network, KGRA Radio, Rogue Planet TV, and most importantly, to you for listening. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies.
3: Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.